As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. This week we are exploring the quite brilliant history of mermaids and sirens. Folklore, myths and legends relating to the sea have existed for as long as humans have been travelling by sea. The alien nature of the marine environment, the almost inconceivable scale of the oceans, the power of the sea and the extraordinary richness in the ocean's biodiversity has led to the creation and development of the most fabulous legends. And one of the most important of those legends concerns women in the sea, women in the form of mermaids and sirens, both subtly different creatures. The mermaid having the torso of a woman and the tail of a fish, a siren being a creature that first appears in Greek mythology who lured sailors to shipwreck and death with their enchanting voices. Their appearance was different, and although written descriptions are few and far between, they are depicted in art as birds flying over the sea and ships, but with the heads of women. Now, you may not be surprised to hear that such a rich story is culturally rather complicated. And to find out more, Irwin Aboliwatton spoke with Cecilia Rose, a PhD student at the University of Exeter, whose work focuses on mermaids and sirens as figures of indeterminate gender in the art and poetry of the late Victorian era, and how these figures may still be used as symbols for transgender and non-binary communities today. Here is Irwin. Hello, my name is Irwin Abeliwatten, and if you haven't already, go and check out the series I made on the maritime history of Wales. I'm from the Brecon Beacons, a really beautiful part of Wales which I recommend you visit. In this episode, I will be talking to a PhD candidate specialising in Victorian art depicting mermaids and sirens. For those of you who don't know the difference between a mermaid and a siren, 
A mermaid has the head and upper body of a human and the tail of a fish, whereas a siren tends to be more completely human, though at times with characteristics of birds such as wings. The Victorians, and the Pre-Raphaelites especially, were fascinated by mermaids and sirens, and it is particularly intriguing and relevant to us today how many of the Victorian depictions of mermaids and sirens are both female and male. These androgynous depictions were a big deal because they defied expectations of women to be dainty and obedient, rather than threatening and dangerous. Myths about these interesting creatures can be traced back to ancient Greece, where stories about sirens seducing sailors and pulling them down to the depths of the ocean were used to scare sailors away from other people's territory. The Victorian interest in mermaids and sirens is also linked to anxiety about prostitutes and sexually transmitted diseases. Here to tell me all about this fascinating phenomenon is Cecilia Rose. Cecilia is in her first year of PhD study at the University of Exeter, and her project focuses on mermaids and sirens as figures of indeterminate gender in the art and literature of the late Victorian era. She is looking at how these mythological figures were presented as androgynous, and may have been used as symbols for transgender and non-binary communities, both then and now. She previously studied a BA in English and an MA in Victorian Literature, Art and Culture at Royal Holloway, University of London. Her eventual goal is to work in academia in the field of Victorian studies. Let's dive right in. Thank you so much for being here today, Cecilia. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be here. I'm so excited to learn more. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about the Pre-Raphaelites and the Victorians and what they were interested in in terms of art? Well, um, the Pre-Raphaelites was an artistic movement um, started by three men in 1848 and they basically wanted to take art back to medieval times. They didn't agree with the Royal Academy and the set rules that they had for teaching art. Um, They wanted to use bright colours, they wanted to use literature as inspiration, uh, religion as well, Um, they wanted to tell a story with their works. Um, So that's kind of what the Victorians were really interested in in this period. They wanted art that told a story Um, and that's kind of where the mermaids and sirens come in. They became very interested in mythology, in um, folklore, all of those things. So, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So kind of looking back at almost like Greek mythology and other kind of classical stories. Yeah, exactly. So is that what you find particularly interesting about that period? I just love the Victorian era in general. Um, I did my master's in Victorian studies. So we did kind of a module on Victorian London and Jack the Ripper and all of that kind of the gruesome side of it. Um, But then we also did the Pre-Raphaelites and Dickens and Victorian literature. And I think it's such an amazing time in that it really shaped the world that we live in today. If you kind of go back further than that, you wouldn't really recognise life as it is now. But there's so much that the Victorians brought, the railways, um, the Industrial Revolution, all of this um, really came from them. So... I feel like if I could have a TARDIS trip, I'd definitely go back to Victorian London and you'd see kind of things that were similar but different. And it would just be so exciting. You could meet Oscar Wilde, you could meet all of these amazing pioneering (laughs) minds. Um, 
yeah, I love it. Can you tell us a little bit more about your PhD that you're now doing and um, what led you to pursue that? Um, yeah, so basically, as I was saying in my master's that was on Victorian studies, I really enjoyed the pre-Raphaelite module that we did and I got really interested in the artwork to do with the mermaids and sirens. And I was thinking, can I, you know, why, why are there so many mermaids and sirens in Victorian art? Um, so that's kind of gave me a PhD idea. Um, and I was talking to, to one of my professors at, at Royal Holloway who said that um, it would be a really interesting project to kind of look at gender and androgyny in pre-Raphaelite art. And I thought I could put that together with the mermaids and the sirens. Um, and kind of thinking about the potential for mermaids and sirens to be a symbol for transgender and non-binary communities in that time period, um, because there was kind of a lot of controversy over some of the paintings um, that weren't entirely kind of male or female or were transgressing from um, fixed gender roles, because a lot of the mermaids and sirens are presented as dominant and aggressive, and the Victorians didn't like that because... Only men are supposed to be dominant. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I became really interested in. So I wanted to kind of explore androgyny, mermaids and sirens in Victorian art and literature. Um, I'm focusing on three artists, pre-Raphaelite artists. Um, Edward Byrne-Jones, Evelyn de Morgan and John William Waterhouse, who all had a big focus on mermaids and sirens and inspired each other. And their lives are really fascinating as well. So they had a big, they were kind of unconventional. They wanted to defy convention, definitely in terms of gender roles as well. So I'm kind of linking all of those things together. Wow, that is that is really interesting to me, especially in terms of so many of the, the contemporary debates about um, trans rights and everything like that. Um, I'm really interested. Do you notice any real differences in the art created between men and women? Um, of mermaids um yes so it is quite interesting uh the the artist that I'm particularly focused focusing on at the moment Evelyn de Morgan she was very into women's rights and the suffrage movement and she kind of used mermaids as a symbol for female empowerment um and the kind of sisterhood coming together um Whereas some of the men are kind of, they use mermaids to present women as a threat. Um, and kind of, they're very, they're, they're a lot more sexualized in the men's pictures, um, <laughs> for obvious reasons, probably. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is very interesting that women kind of use them as a tool, whereas sometimes men are using them to criticize women. So, yeah. <laughs> I think it's so interesting to look back at um, and I'm definitely not an expert in this area but um, I feel there's a lot of literature kind of um, looking back to classical periods now, um, novels like Circe where they're looking at kind of women in, in these myths because um, women were quite often portrayed as monsters um, and are kind of demonised but I think um, there are a lot of artists now looking back and kind of um, making that transgressive or empowering in a way. Yeah it's really great to see. I, I love also neo-Victorian texts that kind of written in the Victorian times but are written now because they have that contemporary lens on it um, which I think is really fascinating and how, how that varies from the literature written at the time. Um, so in terms of your PhD is there any reason that you chose Exeter? Um, was there any particular maybe archives or expertise that drew you in? Um, so 
it was mostly because Exeter has the centre of Victorian studies. Um, so they have a whole kind of group of researchers who are researching things to do with the Victorians. So they'll have they have lectures, they have a lot of Victorian library resources. Um, also my supervisors, that's kind of where the expertise was for my project. So one of my supervisors, um, Dr. Tricia Zakreski, she's uh, in, in, in the English department. So she's looking at the literature side, um, very knowledgeable on Victorian literature, particularly women's writing. Um, and my other supervisor is uh, Dr. Joao Florencio, and um, he's an expert on gender and sexuality. So it's kind of the two come together really well and really nicely for my project. I was interested as well because Exeter's fairly near the coast. Um, whether that like comes into play at all, um, whether you kind of look at mermaids in relation to um, ships and sailors at, in the Victorian era. Yeah, definitely. It's it's really nice to be by the sea. Um, I'm a Londoner, so just the countryside, <laughs> the air, the space is just the dream for me. It is lovely. <laughs> but I'm also looking at some Cornish folk tales as part of my um project so like the mermaid of zena um and i might do some trips down there to kind of find a bit find out a bit more about that because there's a lot of mermaid folklore that is based in the devon cornwall area so it's a really good place to be wow that's fantastic um and in terms of carrying out that research would that be kind of talking to local people or like museums um, yeah, so both. I'd want to, uh, I'm interested in the oral tradition and how that has changed um, over the centuries. So it'd be interesting to talk to some locals and see how, how the stories have developed over time. Um, also look into the museums, the archives. There's also a church in Zena where there's a um, a sculpted mermaid, uh, which is which relates to the legend of the mermaid of Zena. So I'd like to go and see that as well. Um, it's so cool that you can go down there and speak to people who are kind of carrying like stories of generations. Um, I think that's really fantastic. Yeah. So is there anything else in particular that you're working on at the moment in your research? Um, so I'm focusing on this triptych, uh, which Evelyn de Morgan painted of the little, but it's based on the story of the Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. And she did three pictures to depict different parts of the story. Um, so I'm going on some archive visits next week to look at some letters that she wrote about those paintings specifically to kind of see what her inspiration was, what the ideas behind it were, um, and how it links to the feminist movement as well, because it was it was displayed, at, it was exhibited at the time when when the suffrage movement was kind of reaching its peak. So it's very interesting. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A new year is full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. I'm sure a lot of people kind of only know The Little Mermaid as a Disney story, um, which has obviously been kind of... um, we kind of told but um how does that relate more to the original story oh it's very different the original story is is quite <laughs> gruesome compared to the uh disney film as with a lot of fairy tales but um what happens is basically she she doesn't get her prince um she comes out of the sea she she sells her voice and her her tongue and her fishy tail to the witch so that she can um, become human and gain an immortal soul if she wins the love of the prince. But the prince marries someone else and never actually loves her. So she ends up dying, basically, in in the... She kind of uh, gets washed up by the sea, but then her spirit ascends... Um, and she joins what are called the Daughters of the Mist. Um, and they say to her, you have been so good and so loving um, that if you do good deeds for 300 years, um, looking over the children of the earth, then you will be able to gain an immortal soul and ascend to heaven. So basically, she gets stuck in purgatory for 300 years. At the end of the story, <laughs> she doesn't get her prince. Her family... Uh, completely devastated and it's all pretty grim but um yeah Evelyn's paintings she's got one when she becomes human one of her sisters coming up and trying to persuade her to kill the prince and return to the sea and then one of the daughters of the mist and her ascending into that purgatory zone wow that is um quite a sad story I can see why Disney changed it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but I can also see why feminist artists especially would be really interested in the story. Um, especially because I suppose in the in the Disney version anyway, um, she still gets married even though she's kind of had to give up her voice, which is obviously quite symbolic. Yeah, it's it's the fact that 
I found the Disney version personally quite sexist and misogynistic because she wins the prince just by how she looks. She can't speak to him. She can't display yeah, any... Yeah, she can't even speak. ...personality. Um, whereas in the original, she can't... That's kind of the reason why she doesn't manage to save herself because she can't present herself as she truly is. So... Yeah, moving back to some of the older artists, um, what kind of beliefs about mermaids were they working to either put into their paintings or defy in their paintings? Um, so it's actually really interesting. In the Victorian era, there was a lot of kind of interest surrounding the potential existence of mermaids, particularly with um, the, the revelation of Darwin's theory of evolution people realised that we were kind of more related to animals than we'd originally thought. We actually were ourselves animals. So people became really interested in hybrid hybrid creatures, um, creatures that were both human and animal, such as mermaids, because they realised that that wasn't an entire impossibility. Um, so, yeah, uh, and Darwin actually said that he thought that our ancestor was some kind of human-fish hybrid um that originated in the sea so people started to to think that that might have been the mermaid um so there was also with the success of freak shows they kind of played on this interest in mermaids and uh pt burnham i don't know if you've seen the greatest showman um i have yes <laughs> he exhibited a what he called was a, a fiji mermaid that was supposedly found on the coast of fiji and was a real mermaid exhibited it in London in 1822. Crowds flocked. They were fascinated by it. They thought it was real. It toured the globe. What it actually turned out to be was the top half of a monkey sewn to the bottom half of a fish. Oh, my gosh. So it's actually oh my gosh. pretty horrible. Quite gruesome. Yeah. But even after that was exposed as a fake, people still believed in mermaids and wanted to believe in them. Um, but I think that the pre-Raphaelites knew that really they didn't exist. Um, and they just kind of used the image for their own for their own advantage, for their own ends to get across their own message. So I don't think that the paintings are particularly related to a potential existing mermaid. They're more looking at stories and legends. Ah, and do the kind of um way that they're depicted in these paintings do they vary quite a lot considering obviously that they're not based on a real life study yes they do um one of my favorites is called the depths of the sea by edward burn jones and it's a uh, a mermaid dragging a mortal man down to the depths of the sea he's either dead or asleep you, you can't really tell <laughs> but basically he's pretty helpless um, and the gender roles are completely reversed because he's very emasculated, um, he's weak, and she's very strong, very muscly, powerful, and she's like smirking at the audience um, through through the painting. Um, and apparently she was based on one of Edward Byrne Jones's friends um, who they called the Siren because she was so bewitching and so beautiful. Um, but she sadly died in childbirth. So the painting was like a tribute to her as a really powerful woman. Um, and also looking at the, the myth of the sirens, how they used to drag men down to the bottom of the ocean and kill them. 
Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, quite, it's kind of looking at the woman as a threat, a powerful threat. Um, but yeah, there was a big merging of sirens and mermaids in the Victorian times. People didn't really know the difference anymore. The myths had got completely merged. So originally sirens would kind of just look like women um, or they would be in bird form. Those were the two forms of sirens you could have, whereas mermaids obviously had the fishy tail. Um, but in Victorian paintings, you get sirens with fishy tails um, as well. So the siren and the mermaid got completely merged in this time, which is quite interesting as well. Was a lot of the myth kind of fueled by um, sailors and fishermen? There's kind of a, an idea of them as quite superstitious, um, especially. Yes. Well, what I find really interesting is I was looking like way back at the history when mermaids and sirens first came to be um, a legend. And that was kind of promoted by the ancient Greeks because they didn't want trespassers in their waters, basically. And they wanted to establish their empire um, by sea. So it really suited them to kind of um, instill a fear of the sea and be like, you know, if you come and invade us or if you try and invade any other lands, then your sailors will get murdered by horrible sirens and mermaids. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, they promoted these myths and that's kind of how it all started. Um, and then they just became more and more popular over time. So and they kind of adapted with the times. Wow, it's so interesting to me that they chose women to be the kind of like thing that scared away um, other ships. That's that's really cool. Um, and I guess in the Victorian times as well, there was probably a lot of anxiety about female sexuality. Um, could you tell us a little more about that and how that feeds into the interest in mermaids and sirens? Yes. So there was kind of a huge anxiety over women and their bodies there's there was also the um a lot of that was fueled by prostitution and sexually transmitted diseases that were kind of rife in the victorian era um and there are a lot of parallels between sirens and prostitutes and the, the potential that sirens and mermaids were a symbol for prostitutes that they would lure men in and then they would give them a fatal disease um so that link is pretty interesting for my master's dissertation I looked at prostitute suicide in um, the Victorian era and how a lot of women committed suicide because the what was then called venereal disease was just everywhere um, and obviously the healthcare wasn't good so they it was a death sentence for them um, so that might be where the kind of sirens pulling men in and killing them kind of came from um, and particularly why it resurfaced in the Victorian times um, while all of this prostitution crisis was happening. Just before we finish, I'd love to know if um, there's anything else you're thinking about working on, potentially after your PhD, kind of where you might want to take this, if there's anything interesting coming up in this field of research. Um, I'd really love to, eventually the kind of goal is to become an academic working on some aspect of Victorian studies, hopefully teaching a Victorian studies course. Um, but kind of in terms of research, I'd really like to look at something called the Golden Dawn, which a lot of these pre-Raphaelite artists were part of. Um, and that was a kind of secret society 
based on Ooh. spiritualism, the occult, seances, interest in the paranormal that a lot of people were part of um, during this time. Uh, and I don't think much has been written on that. So I'd really like to write a book about the Golden Dawn. Um, but first, I'll finish my PhD. <laughs> um, yeah. Of course, one step at a time. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today, Cecilia. This was really, really interesting. Um, and I wish you the best of luck. I can't wait to see um, what comes out of it in the future. Thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening. That's it for today. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, go and find us on Instagram and YouTube. You can even see some of Cecilia's favourite paintings of Victorian mermaids and sirens on our website and our social media. If you would like to get even more involved, you can go and join the Society for Nautical Research, which does not cost a lot but is a huge support. You receive four copies a year of our Mariner's Mirror Journal, which has been published for over a century, as well as access to all of the existing publications online. Most importantly, you become part of a community dedicated to preserving and celebrating our maritime history. As always, we love to hear from you, so please do get in touch with any questions, comments or thoughts about our podcasts. <laughs>